Welcome to Werewolf the Podcast, a retrospective podcast about Werewolf the Apocalypse. Imagine. Imagine Atlantic City. Imagine HLGCon. The boardwalk. The beach. The hotels. The casinos. Imagine an old hotel, renovated, restored, open to the public in a way it never was before. Now imagine a series of quirky, intense, and interesting event rooms. Imagine the coolest bar you've ever wanted to host a LARP in. And that's the showboat. HLGCon is happening October 12th through the 14th of 2018 in the Showboat Hotel and Resort in Atlantic City. We'll have LARP, tabletop, board games, and more. We've struck a deal with several LARP studios to run a blockbuster LARP, Pandemonium, that'll be unlike any other event in 2018. Find us on the web at hlgcon.com. Come join us. Imagine it, and we'll make it a reality. Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. Today, we are going to be reviewing Tribuck Bonars. And Tribuck Bonars is probably one of my favorite tribe books. Actually, all of the tribe books are really good. I enjoy them. So we'll say that it's my favorite for this episode and then move on to other things. Before I dive into the book itself, though, I want to talk a little bit about HLGCon, which is coming up in October, October 12th through the 14th. You can go to www.hlgcon.com and purchase your tickets. It's in Atlantic City, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you like to LARP, or if you like to do tabletop or board games, we want you to come and hang out with us and play. So, Bonar's Tribook. Bonar's Tribook. There, I got it out the second time. It was written mostly by Sam Chupp. And it was initially, uh, it was initially, wow... It was initially published in 1994, developed by Bill Bridges. Everything at the moment during this edition was developed by him. It was edited by Robert Hatch. Art director was Richard Thomas. The cover art was by John Bridges. Art insides by Jeff Rebner, Brian Wackwitz, Joshua Gabriel Timbrook. And the logo and back cover design was by Michelle Prowler. And... We'll start off by saying that this is the same size as the Black Furies book, so about 60 pages. And the introductory comic tells you pretty much all you need to know about the Bonars. It, it doesn't. Don't, don't let me say that and get away with it. But it does tell you something about a sense of trying to get back at societal deprivations, which is at the core of some of what the Bonars are about. Now, I know in the last episode I talked a lot about feminism and its interaction with Garu society. Well, in this episode I'm going to talk about poverty, and I'm going to talk about income inequality, and if those are things that give you the heebie-jeebies, maybe this isn't the episode for you. But honestly, all of the tribes in some way deal with issues that are fraught, complicated, and difficult for some folks to engage in. There are, in essence, three major tribes that live with, around, and within humanity's scope. 
and they are in no particular order the glass walkers who live within humanity's upper echelon of technology and interest and have the largest connection to the weaver the second being the child the children of gaia who see humanity as a group as something they should be shepherding and helping to rewild if you accept that term and become fully connected with with humanity in a way that is helpful and strengthens them and the bonars are the werewolves that live on the bottom rung of human society they're barely connected with humanity so much as living within the confines of humanity's slums humanity's deconstructed elements you know it's almost like they are the wild encroaching in on the space that the human condition lives near or on and the bonars are a tribe that follows a rat and if you conceptualize rat as a totem of several layers but one in particular being disease the second being a sense of survival in places that it's almost surprising that humans exist within and then you'll really understand who and what the bonars are they are a tribe that lives within the worst spaces that humanity has because they're acting within Gaia's role as almost like the cracks in the, uh, the cement. They are the weeds breaking through and bringing the wild into the center of a world that would not otherwise have it. And the Bonars are also the... They're almost... They're kind of seen as the Omegas of the Werewolf Nation, but that's not really accurate they're not just the kick dogs and the scapegoats they are the werewolves that exist in places where others can't be if you look at it from a japanese perspective uh, more of like a, a medieval japanese perspective where the samurai are the upper echelon the nobility of society and the ninja are connected to the um the criminal element but insofar that the samurai class would interact with people lower on the social rung to get things done that they couldn't do themselves socially within a socially acceptable framework and oftentimes that's who the bonar are they're the werewolves that care about people in a sense that they will steal from the rich we'll get into the hood in a minute but they will literally steal from the rich and give to the poor, but not necessarily sustain the poor to to not to no longer be poor because they don't really care about that sense of social mobility because they know that someone always, and this is, I know, a broad overstatement, and it speaks to a capitalist sort of mentality, but there's always going to be someone on the bottom dregs of society and they revel within that space. Bonars are also in some ways connected with a sense of a drive for liberty, of humanity and for themselves, and a breakdown 
of the social hierarchy. So if you see the Bonars, you can see the Bonars as lots of different layers, but it, you could see them as the ultimate desire to overthrow the capitalist system, i.e. the Garu Nation, and by deconstructing these feudalistic societal expectations to have a more level playing field and to represent maybe a better united front without the creation of all these non-wolf-based social hierarchies that the Garu Nation has created. The Garu Nation likes to state that they come from wolf culture, but really they come from human misinterpretation of wolf culture. And the Bonars are, at its base, breaking away from that mentality. They're fighting against it. They're trying to bring it down. And that's why you'll see a lot of Bonars are from the United States at this point. Uh, most of the tribe left Europe, left some of North Africa where they might have been before, and they came to the United States, Canada, and the rest of the Americas, and that's where they've been becoming one of the larger tribes that is out there. And they have a lot of connections to those different layers. Their place in society is also one where, because... They live right in the cesspools of human existence. They may interact with the ratkin, and their connection to rat makes it obvious that they might connect and interact with the ratkin. And it's also potentially possible that they interact with the Nosferatu vampire clan. Now, this gets deconstructed a little bit in later editions, and it's kind of moved away from... But in this first version of the tribe book, there's a sense that, oh, a Nosferatu, Ratkin, and the Garu can hang out and be friends with one another. And I don't think that's true. I think that retcon is good, that they eventually get rid of it. But it's there. If that was something that you wanted to lean into, you could do so, and you could have a, a fun group um, that includes members of those different um, tribes and vampire clans. Now... Like the Black Fury book, there are various camps, and like most of these books, there are going to be various camps of Garu that are spoken of. Um, one in particular, and we'll go through all of them, but one in particular is the Hood. And the Hood is a continuation of the sense of Robin Hood that the, the Bonars have to help humanity and have to steal from the rich to give to the people that are downtrodden and to help lift them up. And so they effectively act like Robin Hood. There are the deserters, and the deserters want to leave Earth and go to the Umbra. They're sick and tired of being where they are within Garu society, where they are within Hamas society, and they want to get out completely. There are the Ratfinks, and the Ratfinks are... A little bit more connected to um, the monkey wrenchers in the sense of trying to break down Pentax and things like that. They're an interesting group to tie into if you want to, um, you know, cross reference some Vampire the Masquerade and some other things because they don't worry so much about societal expectations that would keep them away from doing that. 
one of the more interesting in a kind of horror sort of sense is the man-eater um, camp. And these are bonars that see nothing wrong with eating human meat, which goes directly against the litany. However, they've kind of leaned into it, and they don't see any problems with that. There are also the hill folk, and these are largely bonars that live in the Appalachian area and have disconnected from the cities that the bonars are known to be within and instead are living within humanity on the edges of society. So they're still doing what bonars do, living where they live, but living in a different element of where they live. And then in here, and we're still in chapter two, kind of talking about these things, you learn more about rat as a totem. You also learn about other totems that I think are really interesting for the bonars, in particular, the American dream. The sense of, oh, wait, this hope and expectations that we as Americans have for a sense of liberty and justice, this is a totem that the Bonars within the Garo Nation hold to and believe in. And I think that's a really interesting totem to lean into. The same with what they call in here the soul of the city, and in later books is called um, City Fathers and City Mothers. And, or maybe even in earlier books. I think that was a mention in one of the other books we reviewed. But the sense then that there's that each individual city, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, all have a soul of that city that represents the hopes and dreams of the people within that city. It's a very mage concept coming into Werewolf the Apocalypse. And the Bonars lean into that because they... The more they strengthen those totems, the more those values will actually be represented by the city as a whole. Then in this segment, you dive into the tribal understanding of the different breeds. And the Bonars don't care about Hamid, Metis, Lupus, whatever. As long as you exist, you are a member of the tribe and we will do what we can to make use of you and to engage with you. And I think that sort of sense of egalitarianism, but a sense of egalitarianism all at the bottom, is really what um, what they speak to in each of those different um, those breeds. And then you learn about the moots of the Bonars, which are not... They're not high-class events. They're, you're not going to see a bunch of Bonars go to an art museum for a, a moot. You're going to see them do things that are fun on a fairly base human level. And that's there's absolutely a benefit to sitting around a grill and just enjoying getting drunk with your people. And that's kind of the sense you get with the Bonars, that they like the simple pleasures in life. And you have their perceptions of the litany. The most interesting one for me here is submission to those of higher station. And they say this, I cannot fault their outward demeanors in this particular area. Truly, they do submit to one's rightful power. However, it is as if they do not truly respect that power and are only going through the motions of respect. They lick my boots and fawn, but when I am away, I find graffiti on the walls with my name on it. 
I feel that they take this part of the litany about as seriously as they do the rest of it, and that we should take steps to show them true respect for us. Now, this is written from an outsider's perspective, a shadow lord's perspective. The truth is, Bonars do care about some level of authority, but only so much in that, okay, I'll have to deal with these people when they're around, and when they go, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do anyway. And the people they really respect are the people that don't leave the community, that help them, that build each other up, and they're not so worried about dealing with those who put airs on themselves and lord over those underneath them. That's not that's not what they believe in. One of the things they do believe in, which is, I think is an interesting segment here, is the way of rulership. You know, if you're an elder Bonar, what sort of things do you do, you do as a leader? And one of them is you focus on making sure everyone gets fed, which doesn't sound like a super important thing, except if you're poor and hungry, it is the most essential thing. So what Elder Bonars do is make sure that everyone gets fed, even if it's macaroni and cheese. Whatever it is, as long as people have something to live on, then that elder is doing what they should do. And the interactions that the Bonars have with the world around them is about survival and about trying to understand how to survive in every environment. And you can literally find Bonars everywhere around the world. And I think that's the sense you get from this tribe book, that Bonars exist wherever humanity exists because they can and they have to. And most of their gifts, which were in Appendix 1 at this point, powers, most of their gifts, most of their fetishes, most of their totems, in some way touch on that element of survival and that sense of needing to get by at the belly of the worm. And at the end, you get the same sort of templated characters that you got in the other tribe books and you will get in uh, the tribe books moving forward. One of these, in some ways, that's my favorite, um, is the what they call the Rush Shaman. And this is a character that has a deep spiritual connection to the world around them. And that world happens to be the trash heap, kind of homeless space that they exist within. And they're comfortable with that. And they find a spiritual essence within that. And I think if we look, we can find nature everywhere within the world. And that's kind of what the Bonars are speaking to, that Gaia is everywhere. And that maybe if we forget that Gaia is everywhere, then she dies. That's when it all comes apart. When the Geru themselves forget what it means to protect the Earth wherever they happen to be at. Even if, it's, if that is in the middle of the city. So the Bonars, if we were to encapsulate them in a quick sort of way, I would say they are the people that live on the edges and the bottom, as it were, of society, of human society, and live there to try and protect humanity and strengthen their people. Unlike some of the other tribes, they don't have explicit ethnic connections. 
though there are more Bonars that are African-American, there are more Bonars that are from poor uh, Irish and Scots-Irish ancestry. There are Bonars really from all of the different human ethnic groups out in the world, and that's just because they don't care about those things as much as other Garu do. That's less important to them. It's more important about protecting the people that they choose to build their pack and society around. If I were to provide you three story hooks for Bonars, the first one that I would focus in on is kinfolk. Most Bonars have a strong connection to their kin, to their family. And I would maybe have it go something like this. One of the kinfolk is a bus driver for the local area. And he accidentally ends up hitting a what he thinks to be is a person late at night bringing the bus home from a soccer game you know had a bunch of kids in the bus hit a person all the kids are traumatized he's traumatized and the bonars as they're like they hear about it they want to check out what's going on because supposedly the body disappeared and the kinfolk doesn't understand what that means and the bonars investigate it and find out that they hit a vampire and then they have to investigate the vampire and find out that this was a vampire that actually is connected to the Sept, but now, because he was hit by a kinfolk, believes that they were trying to kill him, and it's created a small war between the Bonars and the Nosferatu of this area. It's one hook you could potentially use. One of the other ones that I think would be interesting is a Bonar family trip. You have a group of Bonars from the inner city, perhaps Washington, D.C., that are having to go out to Appalachia and meet another tra- another sept or another pack that has the same totem that they have. Perhaps it's the American dream. And they share this totem, and the totem says, you know, you have to get together and hold a moot with one another. And they come from their completely drastically different cultural backgrounds and yet have to get together, run this moot together, and that creates all these interesting tensions for them to build build a story from. The last story idea or story hook I'll leave you with is about toppling the bourgeoisie in a particular space. Perhaps the Bonars of New York City. Let's not do New York City. Let's say London. The Bonars of London have to take down the silver fangs that rule the sept in Hyde Park. I'm just going to assume there's a sept there. And they are attacking the silver fangs because the second in command of the silver fangs is corrupted by the worm. No one within the upper echelon of the Silver Fangs wants to admit that such a thing has happened. And the Bonars are the only ones that are able to see it. They are the ones that can clearly see that that corruption is ongoing. And so they step up to take out the entire leadership because they know that if they don't do so, this taint and corruption will just continue on and it will only become worse. So those are the three storyteller hooks that I would give you for the Bonars. There are 
tons more that you can create out of this tribe book. This tribe book is well done. Uh, I like Sam Chup's work in general, and I would definitely recommend checking this tribe book out in Litany of the Tribes Volume 1, which is where we have the first three tribe books. So if you have any questions, you can message me, you can send me an email, you can make a comment, because I'm happy to hear all of those different things, and I hope that all of the raging you are doing out in the world is going successfully. Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.